our Bible teacher Dave Wurtson invites you to carefully study with us 1 Corinthians 4 verses 6 through 21. These lines were written in the first century, but even in this undisputed age of miracles, the Apostle Paul warned against a Corinthian pride that believed that they were already ruling with Jesus in the heavenlies. Dave's purpose is not to generate controversy in the family of God, but to move all of us toward a more biblical understanding of our walk with Christ. The King's Now error. It's a very common error in the church today. There's a whole segment of the evangelical church that are telling us that we have everything in Christ right now. You can have all the health that Christ promises you right now. You can have all the wealth, all the wealth of heaven right now. You can have long life. I never can figure out why we don't go on and promise eternal life that will totally escape death. The idea is that you are presently kings, ruling and reigning with Christ, and therefore, if you don't enjoy total happiness now, total freedom from suffering now, if you don't enjoy prosperity now, then it's because you just don't have enough faith to believe it. And this theology goes on to tell you that if you'll image it, if you will name it, if you will claim it in the name of the Lord, then you can have it. Now what makes this thinking so difficult to wrestle with is there's very important elements of truth in it. If you know Christ as your Savior today, there is a sense in which you are the princes and princesses of heaven. There is a sense in which you are kings now. There's also a sense in which you're forgiven now. And you are totally free in Christ. Paul also talks about the fact that all things belong to you in Christ. And so there's a certain element of this theology that's very true. And that's what makes it so devastating in so many people's lives because there are certain senses in which the kingdom of God is among us now. The Lord Jesus in Luke's gospel talked about the kingdom within you. Every one of you that have come to know Christ as your Savior have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. You can minister to other believers. You can give grace and minister grace. You can go into a sick room, and those of you that are gifted by the Spirit to do this, something very special will happen as you minister help and support and kindness in that situation. Some of the other ones have been gifted to be able to raise money and to earn a lot of money and then to graciously funnel it out into all parts of the world for mission enterprises and to help the work of the Lord Jesus to continue. And we could go on and talk about many gifts, and we will when we get to 1 Corinthians 12 and following, talk about some of the gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul rejoiced that they had been enriched in all the spiritual gifts. The Corinthian church was the New Testament church that was more gifted in, the, in what we might call the charismatic gifts, the special gifts of the Spirit, than any other church. And the Apostle Paul said, in that sense, you are ruling and reigning with Christ. 
But the Corinthians went on from those touches of the Spirit, from what the New Testament calls the first fruits of the Spirit, the down payment and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life now gives us the certainty that one day we will totally be free. And one day we will reign with Christ. But as we begin our study today in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I'd like you to go to Hebrews chapter 2 for just a minute because I want to pick up an important phrase that the writer of the book of Hebrews uses concerning the kingdom. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7 and following. You made him, that is the Lord Jesus, to be a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, talking about Christ, God left nothing that is not subject to him. So what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, when he rose again, when he ascended to heaven... God the Father, in one sense, in the kingdom of heaven, put everything under the feet of Christ. What that means is that as we praise the Savior, as we worship the Savior today, we are worshiping the one Lord, the one sovereign ruler, the one leader who is supreme above all things, who is to be praised and honored and worshipped, the Lord that we can get down on our knees and worship. From a heavenly perspective, that's already taken place. But on this earth, on this earth, God has tolerated a continued rebellion against his kingdom. A continued chaos within his universe. And that's why we read this phrase, in putting everything under him, God left nothing that's not subject to him, yet at present, as we live in this present world, we do not see everything subject to him. We don't see everything completely conforming to the desired heart of God. Death is not the heart of God. Death is a, is a dastardly invasion from the chaos of evil. It can't get outside the boundaries that God has ordained. It doesn't catch God by surprise, but it is chaos. And it is the antithesis of God. And 1 Corinthians 15 promises, one day it will be put under the feet of Jesus. It'll be smashed under his feet. It will be the last enemy that's destroyed. And no longer will death be part of God's created order. But right now, not yet. Right now, every single one of us wrestle with death. Physical suffering. When you go to heaven, you're no longer going to get colds. You're no longer going to run fevers. In heaven, there will be nobody missing because of illness. There will also be nobody missing because they're just plain lazy to get up. Because they've got that old, dastardly part of themselves that is irrational and doesn't like to do certain things. You know, that, that feeling that comes over you that can control us at times. We won't have that when we go home to be with the Lord. But right now, God in his grace has seen fit to leave us on a planet where all things are not conformed to his heart will. It does conform to the overall sovereign plan that he's working out, a mysterious plan that you'll never figure out. 
But it's very important for you to understand that there are many things that happen in this world that are not conformed to the will of God, and you might experience suffering, you might experience early death, you might experience difficult emotional times, you might go through times of depression. That is not necessarily evidence that you're out of the will of God, that you're out of fellowship with the Lord. The Corinthians didn't like Paul because the Apostle Paul was suffering. He went through very weak times in his life. He went through times of depression where he didn't know whether he could go on. The Corinthians wanted to get beyond all that. Don't we all? And, and we all want to have that illusion. In fact, I could deceive you if I used my speaking ability to tell you about a never-never land that you could have right now where you would never be down, you'd never be sick, you'd never be without a job, you'd never have any suffering, unbelievers would never turn against you. Unbelievers would never persecute you. You could live in heaven now. I could deceive you because that's the American dream. We all want to believe that. But if I did that, according to our passage last week, one day when I stand before Christ, I would catch it in the neck. Because Christ would say, David, you went beyond what was written. You did not teach what the Holy Scriptures really teach about the reality of life on this planet. What you taught was true for heaven. And now my children are enjoying all that blessing that you talked about, but you didn't allow them to go through the school of training, the school of godly discipline that I wanted them to go through in this life. And you deceive them. And that kind of a teacher is going to catch it in the neck. The Lord Jesus is going to discipline them. He's going to be displeased with them. They will negate the praise that they could have received as a faithful teacher. I want you to look at it for picking up what we talked about in 1 Corinthians 4 with verse 6. With that as background, that's the overall pattern of Paul's problem. The problem that he has with the Corinthians. And he begins like this in verse 6. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying. And here's the first rule, but it's absolutely essential for your spiritual health. So that you may learn from us, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? Who do you think you are, in other words, is what Paul is saying. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Now, there's two basic things that we need to look at when we think about our standard of authority. Every one of you, as I've shared with you week after week, because it's one of the most dominant things that I want you to learn from my teaching the Word of God. Every one of you have an authority. Every one of you listen to someone. Every one of you look to someone for authoritative guidance. The Apostle Paul is saying that the rule of authority is don't ever go beyond what is written. Don't ever say the Holy Scriptures is not enough. I thank God that he spoke in the Holy Scriptures, but it's not enough. Every single cult that has ever captured the hearts and minds 
in deadly spiritual false teaching has been a teacher that said, the Word of God is part of what you need, but I've got more of what you need. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, said, the Word of God is part of the revelation. It is a true revelation. It is part of what you need. But the angel Moroni has delivered to me another book, the Book of Mormon, and it is another revelation. And as modern Mormonism has developed, the prophets of Mormonism go on and say, we'll give you further revelation. And I just use Mormonism as an example. They promise you that they have a deeper truth. They have a greater insight. False teaching always begins that way. The tragedy is that I'm finding it's going to take a lifetime to really control, to begin to control what God has said in his holy scriptures. And God has spoken in every single word. First Timothy 3 makes it very clear, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that we might be equipped for a few good works. No, but for all good works. I want you to ask yourself, am I really living under the authority, under the standards of Scripture? The truth of the matter is I'm realistic enough to know some of you haven't cracked the book all week. And I don't say that to make you feel guilty because you're under very busy schedules. You're under intense pressures, many of you. But the truth of the matter is that you've never been able to really overcome a lot of negative feelings about getting into the Word of God for yourself. And I want to challenge you to realize you'll never grow to maturity. You're never going to grow to all that Christ has for you until you do it until on a regular basis, not legally because you have to, but because you realize that it's healthy teaching and that it will build your life, that you start cracking the book for yourself. You start opening the book. It's the only way you'll ever be free. If you don't go beyond what is teaching, but build your life on what is written, you'll become free. If you don't do that, you'll be in bondage. You'll be in bondage to your job. You'll be in bondage to radio preachers. You'll be in bondage to politicians. You'll be in bondage to different editorials. You'll always be in bondage to people that are trying to teach you. But you won't have a standard of evaluation. And so you'll just be going from one thing to the next. And all I challenge you to listen to this rule, don't go beyond what is written. But in order not to go beyond what is written, you and I need to know what is written. And that's been one of the very simple things because I know the truth of the matter in my own life, though I have a theological degree and I took nine years of beyond college graduate school level study of the scripture, I still know that there's parts of the scripture I don't really know very well. There's parts of the Old Testament, though I'm an Old Testament major, that I really don't control very well. And the pull of my life is to do that. And I always try to get things down to just very basic things. And so one of the basic commitments that I have is that I will, whether I understand it or not, whether I feel like it or not, whether I think it might make me feel good or emotionally I want to do it, I threw all that aside and said, I've got a commitment. I will get into God's Word every day 
for some period of time. Basic rule. Because if I don't, then everything I'm doing is a farce. That's why preachers fall into trouble. A lot of preachers are always studying for everyone else. They're always studying to tell you what you need to know. You can't do that. You need to let the Word of God sit over you, and you get down on your knees and let the Word of God teach you. It's a very subtle form to go beyond what is written because you don't know what is written. And I find that true in many believers' lives. Very few believers really find out what is written. But some of you will listen. You'll say, I want to be free from false teaching. And you'll do kind of like people decide they're going to get in shape physically. They just start doing it. And it's not going to happen until you just make up your mind with your will and say, Holy Spirit, I want you to give me the strength to do it. And with your will, you submit to the work of the Spirit and you do it. The Apostle Paul was desperately afraid for the Corinthians because they didn't really know it was written and they were starting to go beyond what was written because false teachers were telling them some very attractive things. The second thing I want you to be aware of, rule number one, don't go beyond what is written. Number two, beware of anybody that's teaching you that gives you the impression that they're much more spiritual than you. Have you all ever been around someone like that? Have you ever met somebody that when you were with them, you just felt like they were in another stratosphere compared to you? They didn't wrestle with the problems you wrestled with? Like just what I just talked about. I've worked with people over the years that I would tell them, it's hard for me to open the Bible at times and read it. And some of these people would say, man, it's never, never, never a problem for me. And man, I felt like I was about that high. You ever feel that way? And I would say, you know, there's sometimes I really don't feel like I come to church on Sunday mornings. You know, Horrors, how could you ever feel that way? I left that far beyond. The first year I was saved, I got over that. Never had any trouble with it again. You ever been around people like that? Soul winning. I say, listen, it's hard for me to tell someone about Christ. Man, sometimes I just shake in my boots. I know I should speak up for the Lord. But sometimes it just feels like Satan just sits right on top of my mouth. I'm scared. They say, oh, man, I never have that trouble. I'm always bold. Man, I just won 45 people last week to the Lord. How many of you won to the Lord? What's the matter with you? You ever feel like that? Watch out for people like that. Apostle Paul says, then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different than anyone else? I want every one of you to know in this audience, there's not one of you who is really different than anybody else. We're all made out of the same clay. We're all made out of the same flesh. We're all human beings. Goes on to say this. What do you have that you did not receive? You know, the truth of the matter is that some of you are more spiritual than other people here. That's true. Some of you, just because you've lived longer in the Lord, you've just been saved longer, and you've had more time to read the Word of God, more time to listen to God's voice, more time to learn lessons of obedience. But those of you that really are more spiritual than other people will not be prideful about it at all. In fact, the most spiritual people are the most humble people, and they won't be the kind of humble people that go around with badges of how humble they are. You know what I'm talking about? Really spiritual people don't even realize they're really spiritual because they really are spiritual. And they also recognize that all that they got 
is totally a gift. You know what the problem with a whole bunch of you out there today and with myself so many times? We feel everything is earned in this life. There's some real self-made people out there. Some of you are just as proud as a peacock. You have what we call the pride of life. And your attitude is, and my attitude can be at times, look what I've done. I want you just to stop and think about what you have done. What have you really done? You say, well, I've really disciplined myself. How did you have those thoughts of discipline? I just conjured it up inside. You know, all those thoughts were just a gift, a gift of God's grace. How many of you can will your heart? Let's, we're going to have an experiment for a little minute. How many of you have been worrying a little bit about your heartbeat this week, okay? Maybe some of you have, maybe some of you haven't. How many of you can will your heart to stop or to keep beating? Nobody can, really. Some yoga controls, they can slow it down or something like that. But I guarantee you when God says, up, that's it, heart stop, time for eternal reckoning, I guarantee you when God says it about me, I wouldn't say, wait a minute, Lord, wait just a minute. I'm a self-made person. I want a couple more minutes. God will say, baloney, Wurtzen. I run the show here. I gave you your gift, your life as a physical gift. I'll take it when I want it. Now, a lot of you don't like that. Some of you that are wandering away from God, you don't like that. You'll fight God your whole life. And you're going to tear apart your physical life because you're going to be hanging on to it, worried so much about it. Some of you that are so uptight about your jobs because you've climbed up the ladder. Oh, man. And you drive it in your beautiful car and you say, wow, look what I have done. But you're scared to death. Man, the Texas economy goes like this right into the tank. And some of you go, oh, no, what's going to happen now? My whole life's going to disappear. Oh, that's slavery. That's just like being a slave on a plantation somewhere. If any of you get up in the morning and go, oh, no, my boss might fire me today. What's going to happen? I won't be able to feed my family. I'll lose my house. My whole life's going to disappear. Oh, no. You might as well just put a big iron chain around your throat and give the ball and chain to your boss. That's tragic. I'm being extreme with you to drive it home. What do you have that you didn't receive? You know, it's great to live that way. You live your whole life. Lord, it's a gracious gift. It's so different if you approach a day. Oh, I wonder if I'm going to make it through another day. Boy, I wonder if this body's going to hang on. You know, you're, when you get to be almost 40, you start thinking like, I wonder if I can hang on for another day. We laugh about that. That is one of the major crises. A guy's hair starts going a little bit back on the sides, and when he plays basketball, his knees hurt a little bit, and suddenly the guy is in the tank emotionally because he started realizing, hey, I'm not going to live forever. So the guy, you know, has to run off with a younger woman, or he goes into the hospital with an emotional depression. We laugh about that, but you know what's really going on there is fear. Fear. And hanging on to your life. You know when I found one of the greatest things to do with fear? Say, all right, let's suppose the worst thing happened. Suppose I die. And I just think about it. Okay, suppose I die. For one thing, I can't do a blessed thing about it. Now, that doesn't mean you do stupid things. But really, if the Lord wants to take me home, I can kick and yell and have a nervous break and everything else. If it happens, it happens. The neat thing about it being a believer is the Lord says, I'll take you right into my arms and it'll be okay. 
And I think sometimes I, I might be the worst one. I might be, oh, no, I'm scared, Lord. I might have a nervous break and everything else. But the Lord says, Dave, the worst thing that will happen is you'll have a terrible ride and then you'll end up right in my arms. And all I can tell you, the peace that that kind of a lifestyle gives. You know, I don't always have that peace. Because I don't want to be one of these prideful spiritual people. There's sometimes I hang on to my life harder than you do. And I'm not talking about not appreciating the gift of physical life, but that's exactly the way you have to treat it. Treat it as a gift. Treat it as a good thing that you've graciously received from the Lord. It'll make you humble. Do that with your job. Do that with your kids. Do that with your home. Paul tells the Corinthians, what are you guys so puffed up about? Why are you so prideful? You didn't receive anything but what I graciously gave you. A beautiful person and at ease person is a person like Paul who takes life as a gift. 